0: To minute fifty-three of season three of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast, where we yipikay our way through the nineteen eighty-eight Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard one minute at a time. I'm Rob, coming to you from uh, the Boston area, and once again joining me is is my host, the host with the most, I guess you can say, <laughs> Sean German of the Next Scene Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the show, and thank you
0: once again for for yeah. for hosting me so that we could do this in person. Yeah,
1: welcome back to the studio, and and thanks for having me back on the show.
0: Well, again, I could it would be pretty uncomfortable <laughs> if I brought someone else in. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I'm going to call Turney. Turney,
0: come over to Sean's house. You know, we'll we'll record and, without Sean. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, just use uh, studio time at, at Sean's place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would work. So minute fifty-three begins with Carl poking the the air shaft with his gun and ends with John moving towards a bloodied and blo- and brain splattered door. Mm-hmm. So yesterday we we ended the minute with Carl shooting many bullets into the air conditioning shaft. Miraculously, for John missing. Um, not miraculously for Carl missing. <laughs> that would have that would have changed the movie quite a lot if he would have actually. Even if it would have just winged him, you know, if he would have gotten him anywhere, you know, there'd there'd be blood oozing out of the the air conditioning, and uh, you know, John wouldn't be able to to run across the glass later
1: yeah yeah probably would have been a shorter film because he would have seen the blood and instantly known well we
0: talked to you earlier this week that you like having movies that are shorter so yeah. you know it might have taken on i mean i i don't yeah. know if it would have if it would have still made it to to an hour 40 you know 100 minutes yeah. you know, if we're only at 53 i don't know if they would be able to squeeze out another 47 and a half minutes of john bleeding all over the place i don't know
1: yeah might have might have been a better film who knows Wait, what
0: do you mean? There can't be a better way of, of diehard. <laughs> no, no. No, I don't no. think so.
1: Yeah, so we have that, that trope where that you know the our our protagonist is about to get caught and the bad guy is closing in and then suddenly called away.
0: Right. Something happens along the way. So Carl starts moving towards the the, the shaft, and then he he very interestingly, I, I don't know if I would have ever thought to do this, he's he's starts poking or pushing up the the vent mm-hmm. with his gun meaning what do you think he's trying to figure out here
1: um i you know i, I think he's trying to figure out where john is and no, he, he figures know, like I'm thinking, well what, yeah but what, like what, the,
0: what do you think the indication would be for him the, the you know by there.
1: the weight there'd be some resistance um you know pushing against this you know the, the thin metal that the duct is made out of that that bends and um, you know, you can push on very easily versus if he feels the weight of a, a full-grown human, yeah. uh, you know, pushing against the metal, yeah, yeah, he will be able to tell. Sure. Um, but
0: it, it's very interesting. I don't know if I would have thought to try it that way. You know, to just by lifting it with with the barrel of the gun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if
1: he if he thinks, you know, if he, if he's confident that John is still within this room, kind of within this stretch of of the ductwork, why not just spray? another round of, of fire you know left to right or right, right. to left unless he, he kind of figures well if i missed you know that didn't i tried that once it didn't work let me be more precise in my movements and see if i can figure out where this guy is right,
0: right. well it didn't work in what way you didn't hear an ouch or a yelp yeah. or something like that <laughs> yeah i you was know, saying oh crap you know <laughs> i got shot yeah you know, I don't know. and you know the, the the music tone changes at this point mm-hmm. and it uh, it in some ways, it's trying to trick us because it gets a little more upbeat. You know, so because, you know, you'd think that it would be upbeat if we knew that John was safe. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, it's it's upbeat, meaning that maybe Carl is going to get him. That type of thing. And then we get a shot of John. And he's, you know, he has his gun in his hand. Which, you know, they, they neglected to actually show us him taking the gun out. Uh, or you see that he lifts it, but... I don't know. It, it, last week, he, he stuffed that gun down down his pants, down the front of his pants. Okay? He he takes it out much too easily at this point. You know, there, there's a lot of, you know, it, it, it's done in a very smooth way, the way that he pulls it out here.
1: You yeah, so he, he not only needs to get this out from underneath him, but he needs to do it in a way that doesn't, you know, disturb the duck or make noise that to, to reel. Right, real but he also needs to, like, uh,
0: you know, I guess move his pelvis up in order to be able to to easily pull the gun out. Because you know, if you are if you are lying in the shaft, so you know, his whole body is against the shaft itself. Mm-hmm. So he needs to arch himself in order to be able to arch himself and at the same time reach his hand back in mm-hmm. order to pull the gun out with and do this all very silently. Yeah, you know, so uh, you know, I guess John's had experience doing these things
1: if you have any experience with sheet metal like this this kind of thin metal like it makes it you know it makes noise as it bends as weight is put on and released um you know it isn't just the, the you know any noise that john himself would make directly but also indirect from Correct. the movement of the metal that he's got to avoid right you, the, you
0: hear uh, like you, you would assume that there's a little bit of creaking of the metal or something like that just because he's moving mm-hmm you know, not even major creaking, even just, uh, you know, minor creaking along the way and stuff like that. I don't know. And and then he, like, uh, pulls back the the hammer of the gun. You know, so I, I like how they... I, I find it funny in movies that they always do this, you know. Because, I mean, John obviously needs to have a bu- bullet in the chamber there. You know, he doesn't need to cock the gun. So all he's doing is just making it a little quicker that the hammer will already be back. But, you know, if he ends up using the gun, it's going to make a lot of noise anyway. It's not as if that's going to make it more silent. Right. You know, whether, whether, again, we mentioned yesterday we were talking about shooting guns or whatever. I don't know how much you've shot handguns as opposed to rifles or whatever it is. But if you're shooting a handgun, it's going to make the same amount of noise if you've pulled the hammer back or if you're just pulling the trigger on an automatic gun because then it goes back on its own. You know, we're not talking about uh, a six-shooter or something like that.
1: Yeah, would it? Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the effect was because it's it's and usually not you know not something I've I remember ever doing. I wonder if it might enable him to shoot quicker because usually it, pulling the trigger. So there's the motion of, um, you know, that that moving the hammer back until it releases to fire. Whereas at this point, if if when he when he kind of manually pulls the hammer back, so he doesn't need to do that with the trigger. Right. The well, only thing the trigger's doing is going to release it.
0: Right. I mean, on like a six-shooter or something like that, that, that is effective if you have the hammer back. Yeah. You know, then, then you have to or, apply or, less pressure a revolver pressure versus on this revolver. kind of pistol. Exactly. That Then then you have to apply less pressure in order to actually shoot. But if you're dealing with an automatic, even if the hammer is back, the whole mechanism is still going to go back. Yeah. It's still going to make the same amount of noise. Yeah. I think it's more just for the viewer to see that he's in the ready.
1: That he's getting ready to fire. It's one of those movie things yeah. that you don't actually do, and yeah, you wouldn't that, do. In that, real that's life. what I
0: think, you know. And then yeah. we get another shot of Carl, who's once again poking the the shaft. He's moving along a little bit here and there, you know. John then takes the gun and points it down towards where Carl is yeah. is standing. You know, uh, getting a little nervous. You know, you can see that John is is scared and he's on edge. At this point, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I don't know. And then I love the fact that we get to see Carl through the grating. Once again, we get to see it from John's perspective. You know, and it it really works very well that they show it that way. Because also, we can see how close Carl is to where John is. You know, Carl Carl is about to to push on that part of the, the, the air shaft. You know, and... At this point, the the music also changes. it begins to like swell a little more mm-hmm. and adds even more tension to, yeah. to everything going on. you know, what's gonna happen? He's getting very close. How are we gonna deal with it? you know and then uh, the concentration of both Carl and John is spoiled because then we hear Fritz screaming at Carl, and he goes, "Carl go, police, this is Carl, come, it's the police." And then we get a, another shot of Carl through the, through the grating. And it it's, the two of them sort of, you know, make eye contact without realizing that they're making eye contact or they're realizing that Carl realizing that he's making eye contact. Because Carl doesn't know that John's there. John obviously knows that Carl is there.
1: Yeah. But yeah, Carl is looking right up at that grate right where where John is.
0: Right, and you'd think that he would see a shadow, he would see something. I don't know.
1: I guess not. Right, and then
0: Carl, before he runs off, pushes up the 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 the, the shaft a little bit in order to, you know, once again make us think he's about to to, to you know to find him, but he at this point uh, decides to. You know, just go with what uh, Hans wants him to do. You know, leave him alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he quickly just runs out of the room. And then we see complete relief on John's face. You know, and and I like the the added touch here that we get to see him put the hammer back. Mm -hmm. You know, meaning that, uh, you know, he is looking at it from a safety perspective. You know, that he doesn't want to, you know, jump the gun uh pun intended yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah, what a kind of signal to the audience like so we know when he pulls that hammer back oh this is you know the the tension has just been ramped up one more level he's you know he's that close to um you know possibly needing to fire to to defend his life and then uh carl gets called away and then he can um Kind of release that hammer to let us know, as the yeah. audience, like we can we can breathe now, we can release, right.
0: and we see John John also he sort of like semi collapses in relief, yeah, as to what's going on, you know, and then the the scene changes and we get a shot of Al driving, you know, his car enters the uh, plaza of the Nakatomi uh, entranceway,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we get a, a bird's eye view of it, and we get to see that he's in Carl, uh, sorry, he's in car one one zero. Which uh, continues to remain that way. But then we also get a shot of one of the terrorists named James, who's looking down from the building. You know, he's he's really high up. So you'd think that, you know, he doesn't really get... He's not. You can't see that much from 30 floors up, can you? It, it looks as if, yeah. you know, the the, the the crane isn't 30 floors up. Let's put it that way. Yeah. The crane <laughs> shot that they use. And it, it makes us think that James is a lot... Uh, on a lower level, mm-hmm. but, but later on uh, we'll find out. Uh, I think, I think we find out this week that that he's, you know, that he still is very high up on the whole thing. But the the, the shot that that Yandabon gives here is great. You know, we see the the figure eight of the whole plaza. We see the car come in. We see the car, you know, drive around it mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's a, it's a great shot, setting us up also to know you know how things look from above you know you have this random police car to show up you know so uh it's it's pretty interesting the way that they uh that they do that
1: yeah our our buddy al powell and then another contrast with just the the quiet of the night uh, this car slowly pulling in versus the the high tension that we just went through inside what time
0: do you think this is What would be your guess? Um,
1: maybe around nine o'clock.
0: Okay. Well, sunset, uh, was, is at four fifty mm-hmm. on December twenty fourth in L. A. It doesn't matter what year, right? It, with in in our uh, multiverse, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I I don't, I, I have trouble believing that four hours have passed. You know, it looks a lot. You know, I had, I had the same issue last last season with plane Strings and Automobiles, that there are certain scenes that just look as if they take place so much later than they, yeah. they probably did. So, I mean, it, I agree with you that it looks like it's 9 o'clock, but I have trouble believing that this is four hours after they, the, the terrorists broke into the building.
1: Right. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it certainly, it it would make sense on Christmas Eve that the building, other than the people in this party... Um, you know, the the building would empty out earlier than right. regular. So I guess that makes sense in terms of kind of the the place is deserted other than the the party. And, and, you know, we don't see any other cars in the parking lot. There's no right. other, um, you know, none of the other tenants in the building are there. But in terms of dark, it looks like it's it's it seems to be well past sundown.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the shot changes and we get to see a leg dangling down and you know reaching for the 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 desk and again i love the touch that that they're showing us john's bare feet once again to remind us that he's not wearing shoes you know this is this is not by chance that they're showing it to us this way and so it's 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 great uh, the way that it, it does it now i mean you'd think that i mean it's very strange the way that that he dangles his foot down and tries to, to you know to to get on the the desk and mm-hmm. things like that I, I, I would you know it's a strange decision to to shoot it like this in my perspective what, what do you think about that you think that that, that, uh, that works
1: yeah um I mean I guess it makes sense from from kind of the filmmaking standpoint of Uh, you know, wanting to draw our attention to the the bare feet. Um, It seems like it's, you know, it's not that far off the ground. It seemed like it would be easier just to drop straight, straight down. And if there happened to be a desk or table, you know, directly underneath the, underneath the grate that he's coming through, that's fine. But if it just drops onto the floor, it's, it's not that far a drop Um, that'd be easier for just, you know, just let go and and drop rather than try to, uh, to reach out to the desk.
0: Right, but I, I have a different issue with it. You know, when when Carl was in the room, did you did did we see that there was a desk there?
1: Oh, uh, what did what, do you what, remember what was yeah, on there? I'm trying to see if it turns around. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, in in that respect, so there was yeah. So I don't think we see. There's a copy machine there. This desk, we see. Yeah, there is a copy machine. There is some you know office equipment in that in that space. But we don't
0: we don't see a desk.
1: Yeah, we don't see a desk. Yeah, this doesn't necessarily look yeah look like the the same room.
0: Right. So I, I
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm I'm wondering maybe maybe he's he's went down in a different room. Is that possible? You think that there is that That's possibility? Possible. And that
1: doesn't make a ton of sense. It would seem like it once, doesn't make sense. But I'm, yeah,
0: I'm trying to to
1: make it more plausible. To make it more <laughs> plausible that for whatever reason he's like, well, in case. Um because right, theres you know you know I'm, I'm assuming he either you know uh, McLean either doesn't speak German or perhaps didn't hear what you know what was said to call car to Carl, call Michael. Carl away mm-hmm. so maybe thinks well he may be coming back so uh, so McLean continues to crawl to another room before exiting the the duct you know right so I'm not gonna just drop into this room where the guy just was in in case he turns around and comes back right um yeah I think we I think we the, the better view of the room is the previous minute, and there is definitely not, uh, you know, not a desk with it a mean computer. It doesn't on mean it. that
0: there isn't one there, but we don't see a desk. We don't see a desk. We see yeah. we see the photocopy machine and some other bit yeah. of uh, office equipment, but yeah. not, uh, not three desks that have two computers on them. Yeah. You know, but uh, and then he he jumps down, and the way that he jumps down, he's he has one
1: foot on the desk mm-hmm. and then one foot in the air. That's mm-hmm. gonna hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems like it. you know, from that angle, you'd be better off not that you know, just not doing anything with the desk at all. Just drop right. straight down onto the floor. Correct. Um,
0: yeah, and then uh, so he drops down onto the on, onto the floor, and then we get another shot of the car, of Al's car, in the plaza, mm-hmm. and we see one of the terrorists. Yeah, looking out a window. Now, what floor are all the terrorists on?
1: Because this looks like the, the second third. or third floor. Someone's close They're to the ground. The
0: 30th floor. Who's on the second floor looking at him? You know, yeah. that type of thing. It's very strange the way that that, that he's uh, looking at it from here.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I've, I've lost track of all the different terrorists that are moving around. I'm not sure who this is who has. This is Alexander. Oh, uh, this is Alexander who has that, th- this viewpoint from a, a lower. It's It's raised up a little bit, but it's not. You know, it's not the 30-story the view from the, the roof.
0: Um, I, I think tomorrow we might know where he is, but okay. I don't think he's on the second floor.
1: Yeah.
0: The, because you can tell that this is Alexander by, by by his hairstyle. Okay. And Alexander was always on the 30th floor with everyone else at mm-hmm. the party. He was one of the guards that was guarding everyone.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's possible someone switched him or whatever it is. But like you said, it looks like he's on the second floor, but I, I don't know. Looks, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there tomorrow and maybe even Friday. There'll be a little bit of that. And then uh, we see John back in the boardroom. You know, John is very, very tense. He is, you know, he, he does have his gun outstretched in front of him, making sure that, you know, he's not surprised by anything. And as he starts walking through the, the room, we get to see the the glass doors which are splattered with the brains and blood of, of Takagi. Yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously they're not going to bring in a clean lady to fix it up because uh, they don't <laughs> really care. But uh, the, the, the the girl has
1: the day off. Right.
0: But it, it's still a little, uh, you know, a little crude that they left it the way it is. And that, as John moves towards that, that door, that's how the, the minute ends. You know, we don't, uh, we, we'll have to wait until tomorrow to see uh, what happens there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So did you have anything else you wanted to say about this minute before we get into the script? Uh, you know, that's all I have
1: for minute 53. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I do have one, one, one quick... Well, maybe quick, we'll see. One more thing I had for this minute, one note, is that um, John's shirt has changed. His his white t-shirt or white undershirt has now turned sort of, I don't know, olive green or, or gray. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I guess you could explain it in the film as this is just all from dirt, you know, dirt from crawling through the air ducts. But it's, you know, it's, it's kind of uniformly colored. It's, it's so completely gray where it was white that I think he just, you know, from here on out, John McClain, you know, the actor Bruce Willis is wearing a different shirt than he, than he had been previously.
0: Well, I think I mentioned at one point that they had 17 different versions of the shirt for him to use over the oh, yeah, movie. Yeah. Something like that. But I, I, my assumption is is that, that you're right, that it's supposed to look that it's all dirty from going through the mm-hmm. the shaft. You know, yeah. that, that there's probably a lot of dust in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but on the other hand, they, they're still in the process of building this building. So you can't say that, okay, there's dust that's been settling in there for, for dozens of years or whatever it is. You know, theoretically, it's just right. a few months or whatever. Yeah, you know? I don't know.
1: So is this is this you know sim- symbolic of something like coming through the the duct and emerging the other end could be um, you know a symbolic or a metaphorical rebirth and now it's you know it's changed from you know from the good you know good guys wear white from the the cop the guy who's on the side of law and order and now he's come through you know rebirth on the other side of that duct work he's now kind of the vigilante renegade not you know not entirely working inside of the you know the all the bounds of the laws maybe now he's yeah, ready so to my kinda, captain keeps telling me yeah now he's ready to go outside the lines because he's he's dirty now
0: wow i never even thought of that. <laughs> that, that that's a great way to look at it i never even never thought to to even go that to, yeah. to go into the existential aspects of right. what does it mean that his shirt is no longer white, yeah. white.
1: Neither, neither did i until just now
0: <laughs> hey why so, not it works yeah, maybe it works so the, the script has uh, a few, again, d- descriptions. You know, they're not really uh, discrepancies here. Mm-hmm. So it starts off, uh, Carl listens patiently for sound. Just then the two other terrorists return. Carl hesitates a moment, fighting his instincts before fi- finally turning to go. Suddenly the duct, the duct McLean is in groans slightly under his weight. Carl stops and looks up at the matrix of aluminum ductwork trying to single out the source of the sound. He steps back into the room and raises his rifle, holding it upright to press... He presses the barrel up into the belly of McLean's air duct, feeling for weight, the weight of a body. So, I like the way they describe it here, but I think visually it just works better the way that they filmed it. I don't think we... You know, they needed to really go into the whole fact of him, you know, that he's maybe going to leave, and, you know, he's debating whether to stay or leave. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that he looks up and says, "Okay, I shot." Now I'm going to check. You know, it's it's he's being method, uh, methodical, methodical, yeah, in, in everything that he's doing. So I, I think that that works to, to show it that way. Um, one of the things that they mention in, in the script is it says uh, that John can hear Carl's footsteps on the concrete, moving slowly below the duct. There is no grate in the script, mm-hmm. so John can't see him. So again, I think it's a great change that they made, so that we can see from John's perspective how close Carl really right. is here. Yeah,
1: it makes sense. And you know, film being a visual medium, yeah,
0: giving us that sight it was natural change. Right. And the only other difference here is, is this actually has the the scene where Theo gets through the first uh, lock, mm-hmm. and then when the computer says, uh, "Do you wish to proceed?" He goes, "You bet your ass, I'm going to proceed." You know that that we we mentioned a few weeks ago already, so it was just uh, in a different place. But I like where they placed it, as a, where they placed it in the movie, as opposed to here in the script.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So every Wednesday we have a segment called Hans Hunt Day, where my guests will give their uh, top five Alan Rickman performances. All right. Now you can include Die Hard here, just so you know.
1: Okay. Uh so I, I can't. Include... if you guess
0: that 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 uh you know that that forgot that they can add that in here. Okay.
1: Yeah, so I, I can include Die Hard and I will include Die Hard, so I guess spoiler alert. Um so I'll start at, at number five. My my number five um Alan Rickman performance is uh Bottle Shock from two thousand eight. And uh this is a film he's in with with Chris Pine uh that's about um kind of how the California wines became uh, more recognized for for their quality. Um, So Alan Rickman plays a um, – he's he's a Brit who's in Paris and owns a failing wine shop and travels to California looking for, uh, you know, something new and different that he can introduce, um, you know, in his shop and kind of centers on a blind taste test that was devised to kind of prove – that the California wines were just as good, um, you know, as anything coming out of, you know, coming out of Europe and particularly France. Uh, but it's it's uh, you know not not a uh, not a big blockbuster like Die Hard, but I think it's a nice little film, and you get a, a good Alan Rickman performance.
0: I actually just saw it yesterday. I'd never seen it before. No, uh, I saw it based on a recommendation from you know one of the, one of the previous. Uh, guests yeah. they mentioned it and i was interested in seeing those I, I liked it i i didn't think it was great mm-hmm. i wouldn't count it as one of my top five alan rickman performances and it was very strange seeing chris pine with long hair yeah it was it was a little it was actually disturbing yeah you know because you think of chris pine at least i think of chris pine i think of one of two things i'll either think of uh james t kirk yeah or i'll think of of
1: uh what
0: else from what wonder woman it? um
1: Oh yeah, is that uh, Steve Rogers? Steve Rogers, is and, that what, yeah. no,
0: Steve Rogers is Captain America, isn't he? Oh no, Steve, uh, uh... Steve, Trevor, Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. <laughs> Steve Trevor. Or Steve Rogers. Yeah. Same thing,
1: you know. Yeah, Steve okay. Trevor.
0: Yeah, so no, it was a little, little disturbing to see him there like
1: that. Yeah, a little bit against type uh, for for Chris Pine for what yeah what he's known for these days. Yeah, I mean not. Um, not one of my favorite movies, but I think uh, I think a, you know a, a decent enough movie, a good film, and and again I I like the Alan Rickman performance, so uh, putting yeah. that in at number five. Um, for uh number four from two thousand five, and I know uh, this has come up previously from other guests, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where Alan Rickman provides um the voice of uh, you know Marvin the the uh, the depressed android. And, you know, he's got that great, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, he's so good in this film, but he's so good, you know, just that Alan Rickman voice, that deadpan delivery, um, that he, that he does so well. So even though it's just his voice, I think it, 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 it you know, rightfully merits a place on, on this list. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at, at number four. Um, my number three from 1988, Die Hard, um, which I, I, is. Wait,
0: I don't think I've ever seen that one. What what happens
1: there? The Die Hard. Yeah, you should check it out. It's it's a good film. All right, all right
0: um, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll put that on my list. You'll put that maybe, on your. Maybe I'll on get list. to it by the, the end of the year. Or yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, Die Hard from 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 1988. Um, you know Hans Gruber. You'll you'll we've seen a little bit of them so far. You'll see a lot more of them to come. So I you not know, think there's too much I need to say about that. Um, my my actually both by by top two uh, coincidentally happened to be from 1999. Uh, so number two, uh, Dogma, the, the Kevin Smith film uh, with um, with Alan Rickman with playing uh, playing an angel who's, uh, you know, shepherding uh, the last descendant of Jesus to save the world. Um, but he's, um, a, you know, a, a little bit he's got, you know, a, a little bit similar character to, um, you know, Marvin the Android that he played in Hitchhiker's Guide. Um I don't know if you can properly uh, describe it. an angel as depressed, but he's certainly not uh, not happy most of the time. <laughs> um, I guess you, you you exist long enough, you get tired of existence. So um, he's he's a little bit weary of uh, of the universe, even though he is, is trying to save it. Um, but, but we get a nice a nice Rickman performance in, in Dogma, and then uh, at number one also from 1999. Uh, Galaxy Quest, which is, uh, I mean, really a great movie, one of my favorites, but uh, Alan Rickman playing, uh, you know, playing an actor who's playing an alien in a Star Trek type show. Um, And I mean, more of that, that weariness and the deadpan delivery that, 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 that Rickman, uh, you know, did so well, Um, you know, uh, 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 you know, someone who thinks of himself as you know, sort of a a serious actor, but then became known, became famous for doing, uh, you know, sci-fi and not, you know, not as serious dramatic work, but then, you know, just to kind of pay the bills, he's stuck, um, you know, stuck reprising that character. Um, And he just, uh, you know, really captures that, that character and that character's arc who, um, you know, really regrets uh, or, or, you know, kind of, you know, isn't happy about being in that position, but then later, uh, I think comes to you know appreciate what that character has meant to uh, to you know to the audience, and so uh, gains a new appreciation for his own work. So um, yeah, my so my, my number one Alan Rickman performance, uh,
0: Galaxy Quest. All right, that's great. So you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you?
1: Uh, you know, once again, I'm from Next Scene Podcast at nextscenepod.com, and also um, I, I, I've done some other stuff. I did uh, this is Spinal Tap, one minute at a time. For Spinal Tap Minute, I also covered Groundhog Day uh, one minute at a time. And all my podcast stuff, um, you know, previous podcasts as a host and also my guest appearances are at my main site, which is at catandshawn.org. That's C-A-T and Sean, S-E-A-N dot org. And yeah, so, you know, check that out for, you know, for other stuff that I've done podcast wise.
0: All right. Great. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is very simple. You can go to my website, uh, movierobminute.com, or you can just do a quick search and find me either on Twitter or Facebook. So until tomorrow, yippee
1: kaye! Yippee (laughs) kaye!